There are some who say that there is no fairer place on earth than that of Ireland. It is a beautiful emerald island, shrouded in mist and full of magic. It is a land pulsing with the stories of the past, and one inhabited by many creatures from the other realms. Some of my favorite Irish stories, believe it or not, involve fairies. Now, I know when you hear the word fairy, probably the first thing that comes to mind are cutesy, dainty, little winged things, painting flowers, and annoying their animal neighbors with their relentless happy songs and jingly bells. But that, however, is not what a true fairy is. That is the modern storybook variety. The fairies of old, the real fairies, are something quite different. They are often dark in nature, with a fondness for tormenting humans. What made many of the fairy legends of old so frightening was the shape-shifting, the changeling nature some of the fairy types possessed. They could transform and take the shape of anything or anyone. It kept believers on their toes, always suspicious of their surroundings and always cautious of how they interacted with the world around them. It did not matter who you were or how much wealth you had, anyone could encounter and be tricked by one of these mischievous dwellers of the other realms. Perhaps my favorite of these types is the puka, and not just because that is so much fun to say. Pukas are a wily bunch, and perhaps the most mischievous of the fairy lot. Pukas are a changeling type that play by their own rules. These shape-shifting troublemakers take a great delight in bothering humans and keeping them on their toes by transforming into any form of their choosing. Pukas can take the form of any object, great or small, but typically prefer a form that is both enticing and innocent. A form which would allow their human victim to let down their guard and come closer. Often, though, their favorite forms to acquire are that of goats, cats, and horses. They seem to find these forms the most effective for their mischief-making efforts. Now, pukas are also known to be quite choosy about their targets and prefer to pick on those of tarnished credibility. This adds to the fun, as the torment to the victim becomes twofold. After the initial trauma of the encounter, the victim is traumatized yet again when they realize that none who they speak to believe the harrowing tale they tell. 
Plus, it adds a lovely cat-and-mouse-like quality to the game, to which the Puka do so enjoy. By choosing someone such as a drunk, the Puka can relish in toying with the human, as those who don't fully have their wits about them are always the most enjoyable and amusing. The Puka also enjoy tormenting those of higher respectability as well, as they know these folks will be too self-conscious, too proud to tell the tale of their encounter. For the most part, Puka typically only come out at night, though there have been a few instances of them coming out during the day as well. But they prefer the energy and cover of the night, and a lot of that has to do with humans' natural fear of the night and what it brings. Puka's most typically hang out in close proximity to pubs and often target those who are returning home from a long night out. In olden days, they would primarily choose the form of a beautiful horse. This was a way to entice the human and give that false sense of security. Back then, horses were quite a prized possession and a beautiful and powerful looking one out all by itself was something most men could not resist. However, if one was careless enough to climb the back of a puka for a midnight ride, they would be in for a frightening journey. A journey that only a lucky few will live to speak of. One such tale of this type of puka encounter is called the Puka and the Traveler. After a long night of merrymaking at the pub, Finnegan began the lonely trek back home. He had stayed out a bit later than intended. It was a few hours before dawn, and there did not seem to be another soul out but he. He was normally ill at ease walking about so late, as he always imagined the paths being lined with robbers, hidden by the shadows, stalking about for men like him. Though in this particular night, his fears had abated, as the moon was full and quite gloriously so. Thanks to the bright silver light, Finnegan had no trouble navigating his way through the winding paths. He was confident that if any robbers were about, he'd have no trouble spotting them, thus avoiding any sneak attacks. As Finnegan made his way on shaky legs, he marveled at the beauty of the night sky and giddily breathed in the cool, crisp night air. He felt quite alive walking about on such a night, though he did lament the fact that he had to go such a far distance. If only he had a loyal steed to relieve his tired legs 
and carry him swiftly through the night. As if in answer to these thoughts, Finnegan heard a soft whinny off in the distance, and then the clogging of hooves trotting on the soft mud. Curious, Finnegan picked up his pace, staggering a few here and there, and made his way towards the sounds. Before long, he caught a glimpse of the most wondrous sight. A few feet ahead of him was a lovely black horse, standing beside a pool of water, lapping up the glistening moon-kissed liquid. Well, Finnegan stood frozen in awe of the animal. It was the finest, most beautiful horse he had ever laid his eyes upon. Its silken fur seemed to glow in the light, and Finnegan began to imagine how he would be the envy of the town with such a fine steed in his possession. Emboldened by the night's drinking, Finnegan walked towards the horse. He intended to have it as his own. Much to Finnegan's surprise, the horse seemed completely at ease in his presence. It even showed interest in him and lowered its head when he reached out to pet it. Finnegan could not believe his luck. He ran his hand along the horse's side, and after determining that it was agreeable, he hoisted himself up on its back. It seemed quite used to people. A chill ran over him, and Finnegan sat motionless on the horse's back, savoring the moment and taking in its magnificence. It was indeed a glorious animal, with a long mane soft as silk and a muscular build that signaled that it was a horse bred for speed. After a few moments of taking it all in, Finnegan lowered himself down and bent his head close to the horse's ear and whispered, Oh, you're mine now, my lovely. Well, the horse reacted to this in a most unexpected manner, one which almost caused Finnegan to fall off. The horse neighed and shook its head and then responded in a gravelly voice. Are you so sure about that? Then, before Finnegan could process what had just happened, the horse began to gallop. As it ran, an eerie blue light began to surround them, and as the light intensified, the horse picked up speed. Faster and faster it went, to the point where poor Finnegan feared he'd be unable to hold on any longer. Yet, for whatever reason, he remained even as his surroundings became nothing but a dark blur. There seemed to be no limit to the horse's speed. And as its pace quickened evermore, a flash of brilliant light occurred, 
and Fennigan winced as he felt a sharp, prickling pain wash over his body. When he opened his eyes, he was horrified by what he saw. He was in the spirit realm, and as the horse rode, numerous spirits began to float towards him. Oh, they were ghastly-looking things, with dark, sunken eyes and gray, skeletal-like faces. They were dressed in ragged robes, fashioned from burial shrouds, and each extended an arm towards Finnegan as they floated by, as if trying to grab him. At this point, Finnegan began to panic, and he screamed and begged the horse to show him mercy. The horse merely shook its head and neighed. As they rode forward, the number of spirits seemed to double, and there were so many of them that it was like riding through a thick gray mist. Finnegan cried out as passing spirits grabbed at him. Each time one made contact with his flesh, it was like being plunged into icy water. The further they rode, the more desperate the spirits seemed to get, sinking their bony fingers into his arms and clawing at his face. Each time one made contact, Finnegan felt like the breath was getting knocked out of him. Oh, he knew what was happening. They were feeding on his life force, using his energy to keep them sustained. He knew that if he didn't leave this place soon, he would be lost to it. No matter how much he wept aloud and pleaded with the horse to spare his life, the horse galloped on, and the spirits kept coming. Icy blow after icy blow shocked his system and weakened his senses. Before long, he could sustain no more, and he closed his eyes and slumped forward. The horse let out a wicked laugh, which was a cross between a cackle and a whinny, and with a bright flash of blue light, it disappeared. When Finnegan next opened his eyes, it was morning, and he found himself laying in a field. There was no sign of the horse, and he began to wonder if he had not just passed out during his walk home and dreamed the whole thing up. But when Finnegan finally made it home that morning, he was shocked when he saw his reflection in the window. He looked some years older, but most shocking of all, his hair had gone from a tussled, mousy brown to a straight and brilliant white. This type of puka encounter often goes 
one of two ways. If the human only admires the horse's beauty, the puka will leave them be. But if the human attempts to capture the horse and make it their own, the puka will take the human on a wild ride. They will ride so fast, they slip into the other world. And there, they take great pleasure in frightening the human and letting the spirits torment them. The puka will carry on with this wild journey until the human passes out from fear. A midnight ride upon the puka is said to have permanent effects on the rider, including hair being shocked white, and some say even a shortened life. There's another aspect of the puka as well. Pukas have also been known to have a bit of a mothman-like quality. It's often said that the sighting of a puka is an omen for some sort of great disaster, either a shared disaster or a personal event. This could indeed explain why, over the centuries, and even to this day, there are so many cases of supposed puka encounters. Perhaps, after the dreadful event, people recalled an animal they had passed along the way and attributed it to being a puka. Or, perhaps they really did encounter such a creature. Another interesting element to the puka story is that it ties into the old crossroads legend. It's said that if you come upon a crossroads at night, you will encounter a puka. In these such encounters, the most common form it takes is that of a goat. However, instead of walking around on all fours, this particular goat stands on its hind legs, walking around like a person. If you encounter this puka, you will find yourself inexplicably drawn to it, mesmerized by its charms and its uncanny knowledge of your life. It will offer to tell your fortune. But beware, if you agree, you will suffer dearly for it. Pukas are mischievous beasts, and they will only reveal to you life's impending misfortunes. One must also be wise of the etiquette involving such dealings as well. For the puka, after telling your fortune, will expect a gift in return. If you have nothing to give, or no items which please it, the puka will gore you with its large, sharpened horns. Now, I have no proof of this, but I believe that 
these Puka Crossroads legends probably tie into the Devil at the Crossroads legends we know today. Simply because the Crossroads Puka always takes the shape of a goat, and the goat is most commonly associated with the devil. Another shape-shifting fairy race one had to be wary of was simply known as the Changelings. In olden times, they were perhaps one of the most dreaded and feared of the fairy folk. Changelings were thieves, and they stole from human families their most valued treasures, their children. One thing about the Shi, the fairies of the Celts, was that most of their interactions with humans were not pleasant. At least, not so for the humans. Most she were rather scornful towards human adults, seeing them as greedy and often lesser beings. But some members of the she, they had a soft spot for human children and were known to whisk them away into the fairy world, claiming them as their own. They thought the children to be cute, especially babies. Though as they grew older and their cuteness waned, these captive humans would become servants of the fairy family that stole them. Sometimes though, the fairies that whisked them away raised them as their own and treated them as such up until adulthood. Then, the human would be given the option of either returning to their realm or staying with the fairies. Now, there aren't a lot of stories that support this, but my guess is many chose to stay with the only family and world they had ever known. For the adults whose children they stole, the changelings were a cruel lot. Children were almost always stolen in the dead of night, and most of the time they were stolen mere hours after birth. But what made their thievery so cruel is that they would replace the stolen child with a copy, often a sickly copy, which would perish some days afterwards. Now, what exactly this copy really was is up for debate, and it seems to vary. If a newborn infant was taken, often the fairy would enchant a log, making it take on the appearance of the infant. When its family awoke the next morning, they would see, lying there in the crib, what they perceived to be the lifeless body of their baby. Other times, the fairies would replace the human baby with a sickly fairy baby. This was perhaps the cruelest 
the sickly fairy baby would be enchanted to take on the appearance of the human baby, but not without its differences. The fairy baby would have a grayish collar to its skin, and it would cry incessantly. After a few days' time, it would start to become lethargic, barely being able to move its limbs. When this happened, it would be obvious to the parents what had happened to their child, and the condition was known as being fairy-struck. More often than not, the fairy child would perish within weeks of its placement. Though sometimes, on rare occasions, it survived. But it never thrived. Changeling children were easily prone to sickness, often had physical deformities, and were usually developmentally delayed. Most parents, upon realization that their real baby had been taken away by the fairies, they would abandon or even kill the changeling child. Now there were some who kept the changeling, taking on the burden of raising it as their own. Now while some did so out of pity, and maybe even attachment, most did so out of fear. Many parents feared that if they harmed the changeling child, the fairies would find out and would become so enraged that they would kill its human counterpart. These parents took on the burden of raising the sickly changeling out of love for their real child. While the idea of the changeling is probably a bit hard for us to swallow today, back then, this was a very real and very frightening thing that happened to many families. In fact, changelings were believed to be the absolute truth up until the late 19th century. By then, science and medicine had made significant advancements, leaps and bounds. And by the end of the 19th century, it was realized and proven that the maladies which had for so many years been attributed to changelings were actually being caused by legitimate medical issues. For the most part, it was illnesses such as whooping cough, cholera, dysentery, typhoid, and polio. It was these which played a role and leading parents to believe their child had been taken by a changeling. There were other reasons as well. Often, a parent would not want to be burdened with a child who had been born with a physical or developmental disability. And it was perhaps easier to convince themselves that their real child had been taken away by the fairies. 
The latter, though sad, was probably the most common. It was also a matter of survival as well. Throughout those centuries, most of these families would have been living in extreme poverty and would have relied on children as a means to help them bring in extra income or at least help tend to the crops. Children who were sickly, children who were physically or mentally unable to fend for themselves would have been seen as a drain on the family's already stretched resources. And sadly, back in these times, infanticide, for these reasons, was incredibly common. And it was probably much easier for families to let themselves believe that the infants they were abandoning out in the wild weren't really their offspring, but that of the changelings. Of course, not all of the she were mischievous shapeshifters, and not all of them had an unpleasant attitude towards humans. There were some who actually loved humans and had eternally bound themselves to specific family bloodlines. They loved these families, and when one of the members of their chosen human family passed away, they would mourn their passing with heart-wrenching intensity. These types of fairies are known as the Banshee or Beanshi. Banshees are always female. The Bean, meaning woman, and the She, meaning fairy. Banshees are most often known for their piercing, mournful shrieks. When one hears the wails of a banshee, it is a sound which sends chills up the spine. A banshee's scream is said to be a warning, and those who hear it will experience loss. Most often, the wails of the banshee signify the impending death of a loved one, or even of oneself. Banshees are most often only heard, but there have been accounts of them being seen as well. They usually don a gray hooded cloak similar to a death shroud. The banshee is often seen in one of three forms a beautiful young woman, an older motherly woman, or as a wrinkled, bent old woman. Some say that the form the banshee takes represents the age of the person about to die. But it's also tied into aspects of the Celtic triple goddess. The young woman representing the goddess of spring, Bridget. The older, motherly woman, representing the goddess Danu, the mother earth goddess, 
and the old woman representing the goddess of winter, the Kalik. No matter the form of the banshee, she is almost always seen near water and always appears to be washing blood-stained clothes. It's said that the clothes she is washing are immediately recognizable and resemble those belonging to the person who is about to die. Though they let out frightening-sounding shrieks and are seen as the hair-bringers of death, banshees are not viewed as being a negative fairy spirit. They appear out of love, and each banshee has its own family that it loves and is attached to. When it knows that one of the members of its beloved family is about to die, the banshee begins its mourning ritual. She is said to often begin her keens three days before the actual death and carries on until the person passes. Her sharp wails pierce the night, rising and falling like the crashing waves of the ocean. Though only those of the family she is bound to can hear her mournful cries. Sometimes she is seen as a gray silhouette pacing around the outside of the dying person's home. After the person has passed, the banshee is said to remain for a few days past, attending the funeral and wailing with the other mourners. Afterwards, she retreats to her bog and disappears. There have been numerous stories from all throughout the centuries of people who have claimed to have heard or encountered a banshee. The banshee is one of the most prominent fairy types in legends and has been encountered almost all over the world. In olden times, though, the banshee was tied to only a few Irish families, namely the O'Neills, O'Briens, O'Connors, O'Grady's, and the Kavanaugh's. But as time went on, and as families intermarried and then married into other families, the banshee followed, attaching herself to whoever carries the old blood. Banshees are intensely loyal and will follow family members wherever they go, even across oceans and to distant lands. To this day, across Europe and the Americas, many people still claim to hear the keens of the banshee, and some yet even catch a glimpse of her silvery silhouette in the night. Thank you.